Welcome to the State of Developer Education, a podcast by Major League Hacking. We explore how technical leaders are creatively tackling the developer education gap to help prepare the next generation of technologists for the real world and build businesses that can adapt to any changes in the technology ecosystem. I'm your host, John Gottfried. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the State of Developer Education. I am your friendly host, John, and I am so excited to be here for this episode with Margot McCabe, who is the Head of Developer Relations and Customer Success at HarperDB. How's it going, Margot? Hi there. Good. Thanks for having me on. I'm super excited to chat today. Yeah, so am I. So I always like to start with all of my guests going back to their origin stories. I would love to hear how you sort of ended up in DevRel and in tech in the first place. Yeah, for sure. I guess I would say I started out my career doing something pretty much completely different from what I'm doing now. I was at a sort of consulting slash outsourced services type company, which was a great learning experience. Just kind of knew it wasn't for the long term. So after doing that for several years, I actually went back to school and did a one-year MBA program. And that was when I knew that I wanted to pivot into tech. I've been in the Denver area for quite a while. I actually grew up in Colorado and Denver, like any booming, growing cities around the U.S., is a really, really great hub for tech startups. I knew I wanted to pivot into tech and specifically have always had an interest in the startup space. You know, I really love the idea of being able to get in on the ground floor and really being able to see the difference and you're making and, you know, the work that you're putting in, like being able to see immediate results. I really love that part of the startup aspect. So after that program, I jumped into the tech startup world. I was with one company that was cool but did that for a little bit. But then I had a former boss of mine reach out and introduce me to the company I'm at now called HarperDB. I've been here for just about four years now. And yeah, it's been great. We have a really great mix of like the tech startup culture, but with the support that you see in larger companies, I've learned a lot through this process that to me, it's so much more important who I'm working with and leadership at a company than maybe having like a super sexy, exciting product, even though we do. Obviously, I think we have a great product, but just, yeah, being able to work with awesome people that are really passionate and really smart has been really great. And that's kind of why I've, I can't believe it's already been four years. I And I, I hope it doesn't end anytime soon. So now at HarperDB, I do, as you said, I've worn a lot of different hats over the years, but now I head up all of our developer relations and sort of community engagement, content creation side of things. And then I also work a little bit in partnerships, customer success, you know, making sure that all of these different co-mingled parts are working together for success for all the different departments of our company. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I feel like there is a particular mainstream view of like what startup culture is like and like the crazy like rocket ship and hours and all of that. But like, honestly, like a lot of the coolest products and most interesting teams I've seen are, you know, just like working hard and not like necessarily wrapped up in all of the hype machine, right? Like, especially when you get to developer tools and enterprise products. Right. Yeah. And it's nice to not be dealing with like the constant roller coaster or constant stress of job security or anything like that. You know, it feels like in some ways we definitely do have that startup culture and like, you know, unlimited vacation and our, our leadership is really all about transparency. But at the same time, we're just a regular company building a really cool product and constantly improving and moving forward. And I like that we're kind of like in the middle there. <laughs> uh, it's a good place to be, especially when you're working with developers who 
are a very pragmatic group. So I'm curious about the sort of like cross-section of customer success, business development, and DevRel. Like I speak to a lot of DevRel folks and there does seem to be this like existential challenge in DevRel of like, where do you sit in the organization? How do you prove out your ROI? Like what are your activities actually impacting? I'd love to hear your perspective on that, you know, coming from like the BD sales sort of like customer success side. Yeah. And I think not coming from a super technical background helps me have sort of a different, unique view on it. And so, you know, that being said, like each company obviously has a different take on what they consider DevRel tasks. But I think coming from the sales BD background has really helped me understand some of the key aspects of DevRel, things like communication, both with our external community and across our internal teams, just diligence and organization that it takes and really finding a need and serving that need within the community while always keeping a customer-centric mindset. So I think you know, a lot of developers probably cringe when they hear that DevRel does overlap with sales and marketing because they really don't want to be sold to or like bothered or have things, products pushed in their face that they don't need, which, you know, when people hear sales, I think that's what they assume. But DevRel does really work hand in hand with all these different departments because it is about building relationships with the community, getting feedback from your users, providing them with the resources they need to help them either better use your product or just augment whatever solution they're trying to solve. And then there's also that feedback loop communicating back to our product team. What I'm hearing from the community that can help, you know, shape our product roadmap. And then marketing can also help DevRel efforts be more data-driven. So I think like all these areas do really work well across each other and actually operate more efficiently when you have that transparency and that communication and like, talking to the different teams and here's what I'm hearing. Here's, you know, here's a pain point that the developers are talking about right now on Twitter or on this like blogging platform. It really does all kind of integrate into each other when you have a product that's developer focused. Yeah. A hundred percent. When you think about it from the sales perspective, like I've heard people say at times that developers are often like the end user of these products, but not necessarily the buyer, like the CTO might be the decision maker but the developer is the one that has to use it. Like, have you seen something similar or is that sort of, you know, maybe an incorrect perception? No, I think that's pretty accurate. Developer pull through definitely can be challenging. And I think that really depends on the product and definitely depends on like the size of the organization and who your target market is. All those things come together. Maybe some people you talk to in DevRel have a really easy time, you know, having developers be the buyers and just being able to like, make those decisions and pay for whatever is needed. From our experience, it is a little bit more what you said, where even if the developer ultimately is who's using it within these organizations, a lot of our customers and partners are larger enterprise type companies where we need buy-in from the top down, especially because a lot of the projects we're working on are like global applications. We do have some developers that just like spin up an instance of HarperDB either on the cloud or, or locally and kind of build their own app on the side using it. And like, we never hear from them. They're either on our free tier or like one of our lower level paid tiers. And that's awesome. But for some of the bigger global deployment projects we do, you're correct. We do need to get like the CTOs on board. And so we try to do a multi-pronged approach where, you know, we do have like some traditional sales and marketing efforts that are geared towards those higher level people. But the goal is that then when they go to their dev team and they're like, Hey, I heard about this product, HarperDB, that might solve XYZ challenges. 
that then hopefully their developers can say, oh, like I've heard about that or I've seen this or I've actually tried it for a side project and kind of then have both the bottom up and top down approach meet in the middle, if that makes sense. So yeah, we try not to put like all of our efforts in one or the other. We try to do both at the same time, even though that can be a lot at times when you're a small team. Yeah, totally. And what you're saying makes a lot of sense, right? Like developers can be heavy influencers of these decisions, even if they're not the one that holds the first strings. Right. I think it is changing though. I mean, I'm constantly getting emails from like Stack Overflow and other types of just data surveys, things like that, that are pointing towards the trend that developers are able to make these decisions more and more, which I think is awesome. So, you know, some of the more forward thinking or innovative companies might be letting those people make the decisions up front. Like it is, I think, trending that way. And that all comes back to why DevRel is so important. You know, it can't be ignored because if that's broken, then that's going to like break the rest of the machine. Absolutely. Like we do a ton of hackathons, you know, mostly focused on students. And one of like the really wild stats we found recently is that about 40% of our alumni, so folks who have graduated and gone into the industry, about 40% of them have actually introduced a technology into production that they first used at a hackathon. And so like, yeah, like there really is a loop there where developers bring stuff to the table, right? Like they might not be the one signing the contract, but they can certainly drive those decisions. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the, the hackathon is such a good way to set that up where you have this like sort of fun, competitive way to learn about a product. And and then once people leave that, they might not even realize like how much they learned about using that. You know, you remove those barriers of entry to using these products that can actually be helpful later on. So I think there's a lot of positives there. And everyone I see that participates in them online, it's like, it's always fun to follow along and, and see what people are building. Yeah. A lot, a lot of creativity coming out of them. Yeah. So you kind of alluded to some of the ways that you think about developers, you know, from like a both a bottom up and top down approach. I'd love to hear a little bit about some of the patterns that you've seen when Harper or even other companies are building these relationships with developers. Like, what are some of the things that work really well and what might be avoided? Things to avoid would be sort of like I mentioned, like, I really don't think developers like to be sold to. So anything where it seems like you're like hounding them or forcing info in their face or trying to upsell once they've already signed up for something or like constantly, you know, doing these emails calls, like what I would call the more traditional old school way of sales, I don't think works. Developers, you know, they tend to be incredibly resourceful and they know how to find the info they need. So I really think our job in DevRel is just to make sure that necessary content exists and that it's easily accessible because then if they have a need for it, they'll find it. So it's really just making it like as easy and as swift as possible for them to be able to test out the product or do whatever it is that they need to do as seamlessly as possible. So I think like what works really well is just like being transparent, building these relationships, being available, making yourself present on a lot of different platforms. So like looking across everything from social media to blogging platforms to like Slack and Discord channels, there's so many different areas where they're hanging out and just kind of be available and be a resource, but not constantly like pushing your product or service in their face. I mean, there's been times where like developers on our team will hop on Reddit or hop somewhere and respond to a question and be like, hey, actually HarperDB might not be the thing that you need for what you're trying to build. Like here's a couple other tools or technologies you might want to look into instead. And so I think doing things like that, like really shows the community that you can be trusted and that you're just trying to help them solve their problems. Another thing I think is important for individual companies is to define what their expectations are for DevRel, because 
as I mentioned, like this program can look so different for every organization, depending on what their goals are. And it's important to lay out like, should every developer on your team be partaking and be posting on social and part of these communities? Or do you have like a dedicated team that's doing it? You see like a mix of all of that. And I think setting those expectations can be really helpful as well. Because obviously like some developers just want to code and they don't want to have to be making videos and be like chatting with the community online and like posting on Twitter and other people really love that. And that's where they find a lot of their answers. And so just kind of like setting those expectations and finding people's strengths and really building upon that can be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Where do you see developers gathering these days? Like I can only imagine it's evolved and changed quite a bit over the last four years, especially over the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, I think discord is definitely one that's popped up that I've seen a lot more of over the past year. HarperDB have a Slack channel community for our users and just potential users in general, but we've been looking into Discord because I know that that's sort of been, especially for developers in the tech community, becoming more preferred. I think all the blogging platforms like Dev.2, Hashnode, Hacker Noon, there's so many out there that have become a really, really great resource, a free resource where like, Folks learning can like document their journey or post a tutorial and here's something I learned. And then sometimes you'll see these lengthy conversations and the questions and comments on the article. And then I still do think Twitter is a big space. I know recently people have had differing opinions on Twitter, but like more so than places like TikTok or Instagram or anything, Twitter has a huge tech community and developer space as well. But yeah, like you can really find communities anywhere. Like, as I mentioned, you can find like a Reddit thread or just community on Reddit, Stack Overflow, some of the more traditional ones still remain popular as well. And then lastly, YouTube, like people that prefer video over written tutorials for learning, there are a ton of really awesome YouTube influencers and content creators and developers that range from like just starting learning to code to like super, super advanced and there's a lot of communities around that too, where there's subscribers and they're commenting and they join, they like watch a live stream or live code along and stuff like that. So I think if you're looking to find the developer community, there's so many options and it's kind of about like, don't put all your eggs in one basket, but also don't spread yourself too thin. Like try to focus on pick a top three or something so you can really have a good presence there and actually build relationships. Like Twitter has been super helpful for me with finding some of our content creators and our influencers that we work with. And just kind of having like one place to communicate with all of them. What qualifies as an influencer in the context of developers, right? Like I follow a lot of, I don't know, like food influencers on Instagram. Obviously that's a totally different beast, but what makes someone a good developer influencer? Yeah, I think that's a good question and kind of difficult to answer because it really depends on what your goals are. So some people might just look at numbers of like how many followers does this developer have? They might look at like, what's their title or what company do they look at? So like, if you're trying to get really specific content out there, then obviously, you know, for example, if you're like posting security content, you want to find someone that's constantly posting about security and draws that type of audience. If you look at numbers, you know, you also have to be careful with that because having hundreds of thousands of followers or subscribers doesn't necessarily mean high engagement rates. So you also have to look at like, is the stuff they're posting, getting likes, getting comments, getting engagement. So in terms of like what makes an influencer good, I think there's a lot of different factors you can look at. And also like it's the two-way communication. Like, are they going to be easy to work with? Do they have the time to work with you? You know, we work with some really, really awesome writers that maybe don't have a huge platform and a huge audience, but they can get like 
super technical. They're constantly ready, excited, thinking of innovative ways to showcase our product. And sometimes that to me is a lot more valuable than someone like retweeting something that's going to get a lot of likes. I think that comes down to the organization really determining like what's most important to them for that specific time. You know, if they're launching a new product and they want a bunch of users and a bunch of feedback on it, then yeah, go for reach, go for like those big top influencers. You can even Google like top tech developer influencers on XYZ platform. And a lot of times then go look at who that person follows. And it's actually like a pretty tight knit community with some of those top folks. And it's pretty easy to find them once you start reaching out. Yeah. It's an interesting strategy because I've seen a lot of DevRel teams where they like try to hire influencers as developer evangelists or make that a core part of like turning their own team into influencers. It does seem like there's so many more independent content creators out there right now that, you know, both are frankly, like trying to develop their own business models to do, you know, content sustainably, and also just develop these really loyal followings of people who are trying to learn from what they're doing. And tapping into that feels like really mutually beneficial, right? Like they can show off a cool new platform like Harper, and then they can also give you access to their audience that they've built up over the years. Yeah. I think both approaches can work. We've considered trying to hire a couple folks like full-time employees that can do this, you know, that have a big following. I think that you just have to be careful that their skill set and their audience fits what you're doing. Because for me, I love the fact that I have this like extensive list of people we've worked with so that when something specific comes up with like a partner we're talking to, and if they ask, Hey, do you have a tutorial on HarperDB deployed with XYZ technology. If we don't have it, I can look at our list and specifically pick the person that I know has that skill set. Cause you know, it's really hard to come across, or even if there is such thing as like the super developer that can create the DevOps content you need while also, you know, coding in Node.js and putting like a front end on some sort of app. And so I think that's a really good thing about working with these individuals is that like pick the people that are the most technically skilled for what you're looking for. And then that way their audience is going to be the best fit for the content they're creating. Yeah, I really like that. I think it also gives you more of a many-to-many audience rather than if you hire the person, it still could be one-to-many of you all putting out content. It makes a lot of sense. So when you think about that content, right? Like, obviously, different people have different styles. I imagine you have your own styles and best practices internally. What are some of the guiding principles that you have for like good developer content about HarperDB? Yeah, I think good content really comes down to the need. So making sure that we're we're not just creating it for the sake of it. I mean, to be honest, when I very first launched this DevRel program, we weren't doing much around this at all. So it was a little bit of a free-for-all. And I was just sort of going down the list of like, okay, we should get a couple of Python examples. We should get a couple Node examples and going by language. And then I was going by like type of feature in HarperDB. So like, okay, let's make sure we have something showcasing clustering and replication or something showcasing like global deployment, whatever it might be. But now that we have a lot of that built out, I'm a lot more calculated now. So it's really making sure we're filling a need, whether that's like a customer or a partner asked about it, or just a develop like any random one of our users in a Slack channel or someone messages me if they ask like, hey, I'm trying to build this. Do you have these specific resources? Then I immediately add that to my pipeline. Again, like trying to create that feedback loop and, and show people that we're really taking their feedback and suggestions to heart. So in terms of like creating good content, it's kind of first making sure that it's on point and that it's something that the community needs. And then just, you know, working with the content creator. And I, a lot of times ask them for feedback too. 
I'll give them a lot of freedom and say like, Hey, we're trying to showcase this. Do you have any ideas of the best way to do that? Or the best app you might build around that or like a fun example. And a lot of times they have all these totally different ideas. And what I was thinking, that's actually like a way better way to do it. So I think having an open mind, like trying to find the experts in that area to really tell you like from their developer perspective, how they would want to see it. And then just having, you know, some outline, some guidelines of here's good content. Like, do you want the actual getting started steps? Do you want to just jump right into it? How many images do you want to have? Is video or written more important to you? Like there's all those different sort of things and roads that you can go down and just making sure that you outline those expectations can be really helpful to minimize some of the back and forth. But yeah, I mean, a lot of it can be trial and error. We will go back and have content from like two years ago that someone says, Hey, this helped me so much. Like this was awesome. And so then I'll try to model on top of that versus the content that like doesn't get much action, or maybe people are still confused about it's like trial and error and try to learn as you go of what works and what doesn't. Cause as I said, like, it really depends on the product, I think, and target audience. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Out of curiosity, who at Harper is responsible for like the docs? Is that also a DevRel function or does it fall into something like engineering? That falls more under engineering. It's shifted, you know, a couple times, but yeah, that's definitely more under like our engineering. We have a couple developers that actually just revamped our docs. That's another thing that at one point we considered outsourcing, but I think you have to be careful with that because obviously you need to make sure like it's, it's a little yeah. easier when you can control it internally to make sure it's exactly correct and exactly the way you want to be talking about the product. But yeah, that definitely falls more under our internal engineering team. And then we've even had like some of our content creators come back and be like, Hey, I was using this docs for reference when I built this tutorial. Here's a couple suggestions or things that were missing. And that's super, super helpful for us. Like I'm constantly throwing snippets like that to our product and engineering teams and being like, Hey, there's a little gap in our docs here. And they love that because it's like, wow, someone really got into the nitty gritty of this and found a loophole here or something that was missing. And, and let's go fix that ASAP. That's awesome. I feel like that's like such a cool feedback loop and developers as an audience are maybe not unique, but certainly opinionated in their interest in providing feedback to platforms. Yeah. Well, I think sometimes you have to like pull that, you know, with some people, they're opinionated, they'll tell you right away what they like and don't like. And, and I'll even ask people like, Hey, if it's a new content creator that I'm approaching, I'll be like, Hey, check out this product. And if there's a reason you don't want to use it, or don't think it's a fit for this project, like, please also let me know because that's all helpful information. And so sometimes you have to kind of like pull that info out of them or after we've worked with a new writer or something, I'll say, Hey, did you have any feedback, any thoughts after using it for the first time? I think when it's like fresh on their mind is the best time to get that. And I'm like, be honest, be transparent. <laughs> like you're not going to hurt my feelings. This is literally why we do this and why we have a product team. So I think that's something that people should always keep in mind. Like it's going to be helpful as long as you're not just like this sucks and you don't give any, any explanation. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you track the success of all of this like decentralized content? When I remember back to like when I was doing developer evangelism, you had all these like really powerful anecdotal stories where it's like, oh yeah, like this person read my blog post and emailed me a question and six months later you know, they got into our sales funnel. And like, it was this really like weird kind of like disconnected thing that I always found really difficult to track. I'm curious how you keep track of all of that. Like, how do you know if third party content like that, even if it's content you sourced is working? That's a good question. I think it's a very difficult one to answer because it's so different from other traditional marketing or advertising or sales where it's really, really easy to come up with like KPIs and 
okay, we're hitting our goals. Like we had this many inbound leads or whatever it might be. DevRel is very different. And this is one of the areas where you don't want to make the mistake of thinking it is just like sales or marketing. So we've tried different things with tracking. We've tried everything from like link clicks. We would do UTMs, engagement, such as likes and comments, sometimes even just taking a step back and looking at like total product signups over the month. So we would look at, okay, we spent this amount. Did that increase our signups by a percentage that would make sense with how much we increased budget, website visits? I think the answer is sort of all of the above. You can't really get like too specific or too nitty gritty. And we don't use UTM links on everything. Sometimes developers don't like that, but we had an article like a few months ago, like probably six months ago in a specific blogging platform. And all of a sudden, a couple of weeks ago, we saw like a huge influx of folks on our website coming from that blogging platform. And so you might post something a year or two years later that doesn't blow up right away, but then that randomly will get you a bunch of signups or like if someone decides to share it and says, Hey, I came across this organically and they share it like that can all have those effects later on. So I try to look at it a lot more as like, just trying to make sure that we have constant forward momentum you know, are we finding the right audience in different places? Are we making sure that we have that extensive resource list that we can pull from so that when people do reach out and ask questions, like we have a bunch of links that we can send them while also looking at some of those more specific metrics of like, okay, if I worked with this influencer that has 300,000 followers and they shared something that got zero likes and engagement, then like, obviously that would be a clear sign that maybe this isn't the right fit for their audience. Like, I think you have to look at all those things together. Or if if you spent more money on influencer marketing and had a big decline in signups, like really get down into it and look at what avenues and what folks you worked with that month. And you can try to find some patterns there. But again, like, I think you just have to sometimes look at it from a bigger picture of like, are we building our community? Are we getting the resources we need? Do we have this forward momentum? Like are people excited about it? Are people talking about it? If you try to look too much into the numbers, it can kind of be a little stressful or maybe like steer you in the wrong direction because it's not so black and white. Yeah, I think that's very wise. There's definitely some undefinable value that DevRel provides that you don't want to overly quantify because you kind of can lose the soul of it. So talking about community, right? Like you mentioned building the community, nurturing the community, creating content for the community. What does your community like mean in the context of something like HarperDB? What are you trying to achieve with the community? Like, What does it mean to be part of the community? I think what we're trying to achieve is from a marketing perspective, you know, there's things like brand awareness. There's what I mentioned earlier about like, if we go to speak to a new partner, we hope that some other developers have heard of the product and that they've used it. But on the other side of things, there really is just this sense of like, we want to help the dev and tech community. There's so many tools that they've created that have helped our team in building our product that like, there should be this sort of reciprocal hey, we want to make sure we're here for you and either helping you utilize our product or utilize whatever other products that like we might be able to help for solutions, you know, complex issues we want to be able to help you solve. There is that feeling of like, we want to help you out because you've helped us out in the past. I think we want to try to also show the community that like we're humans also. For us, example, our product was built by a team of developers that were trying to solve a problem that they knew developers globally we're facing. So a lot of our community is like trying to show, we get it. We get it. We know the challenges that you're facing. We're here with you. We want to be like as available as possible. That's why we have things like a Slack channel. And there's a podcast that actually I host where I get to speak to lots of really cool developers and folks in the tech community. And I try to use that as like a resource to then educate other folks that we're working with. Our podcast isn't focused on our product. It's like just interviews with 
people that have really smart information to share or just talking about their journey. So a lot of just like giving back, trying to be there, having a feedback board, that two-way communication, I think builds this sense of community. And then the ultimate goal is that then you like see your users in other places, helping each other out without us even having to step in. So that's been like some of the most exciting moments for me is like, if someone asks a question about HarperDB on any platform on our Slack channel or on a blogging platform, if someone else external steps in and helps them before we can, that's like such a cool feeling of like, wow, we're getting there. We're, you know, we have a bigger audience. And we realize like they're excited about it. They want to help each other out. That's awesome. Are there specific things you do to like incentivize or reward that kind of behavior in your community? Not at the moment. I mean, we looked at, and we have in the past sort of done like more formal, you know, where we have external people that can be like, not brand reps, but if they talk about HarperDB or post links in certain places that they could get like kickbacks or something. I don't know if we're big enough to formalize that, but also it can sometimes feel a little forced. I think like we do that a lot more organically. So if we start a relationship by maybe like paying someone one time to do a tutorial, they got excited about the products and they do organic content around it, like for their own reasons, maybe to promote like their own product. They're like, oh, I'm going to build XYZ and just use HarperDB for the baseline database or data platform for that. So I think we're not like formally incentivizing that at the moment, but we do through just like natural organic momentum, we do see that happening. And I know that's something that a lot of like larger companies do have programs like that, where you can get like credits or get like Amazon gift cards or something. If you get a certain amount of clicks on the links you're sharing, I think that's all really cool. I just try to be really careful that like, even when we do paid influencer posts, that it doesn't feel like really forced or really salesy and that the person is talking honestly about like what their thoughts were after using it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it definitely does. And, you know, I think what you're describing sounds really like authentic and organic, right? Which is something that matters a lot to developers too. Yeah, I think that's just the goal at the moment. And especially because we have this whole other side of things where we're focused on really large partnerships and enterprises and and moving those things along. And if we can still kind of foster this community on the side and still make sure that we're like getting feedback from developers, have lots of new users each month, checking it out, letting us know what they think. It kind of all ties in together without having to like do so much effort on that. Like it just ends up happening naturally. And it, it takes time to build up. Like I think at first I would have had a different response to that if you asked me that two years ago, but now we're at a point where I'm comfortable enough to say like, that is happening organically, which is the goal. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. So when you look at kind of your overall like strategy and the growth of your developer community and product, like what's next? Like what are the big things on the horizon that you're looking forward to? I think that we want to get to a point where we start after the COVID years, we want to start doing a lot more like in-person, getting myself and my colleagues like speaking more at all these different types of events that are happening both virtually and in person. Like we want to just start having fun and and getting together with some of these other really smart folks that we work with and that we've been having video calls with or that we just look up to like other content creators getting out there and just like spreading the word. I'm really looking forward to doing more in-person type events like that. In terms of other things that we're looking forward to on the DevRel side, you know, there's always things on the roadmap. Like we used to do code, we used to do monthly or bi-monthly like live stream code along events where we would have someone come in and build something really cool do a webinar and people could code along. 
we kind of stopped doing that just because of other things that came in. And we also tried doing hackathons back in the day a couple of times just internally, which are really fun. So like we always have things like that on our roadmap and try to do things like that a couple of times a year and just make sure like we're enjoying what we're doing, but also creating an, an environment for like our users and our community to have fun and enjoy and like take a step back from their more serious tasks at the moment and be like, Hey, come like have fun with us. We're doing X, Y, Z. So I guess just kind of taking a step back and being able to like enjoy this community we've created is something that I really look forward to. Well, what's so unique or special about in-person events? Like I kind of feel similarly just as like my gut reaction to the idea of gathering in person, but like, why do you think that is? Like, why is that such a unique experience for your community and for you? Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. In-person conferences and events can be exhausting, which I've also experienced firsthand. But I think there's just something so different about like meeting people in a setting that is not so forced. Like when you go to a maybe four-day conference, for example, you don't feel like, oh my gosh, I have to talk to everyone right here, right now on the first night. It's kind of more of like hanging out, having fun, chatting, going to happy hours, like having normal organic conversations outside of what either of you do for work or like outside of trying to sell your product. But then sometimes we've seen that then turn around. We're like, we keep that connection. We keep a relationship with someone and then reconnect with them a couple months later. And they're like, wait, are you able to solve this specific problem? And then because we've already built that face-to-face relationship, it's like, you can move things along a lot quicker, be a better resource for them. It's just a lot more memorable. I think going to talks in person, is just like more exciting, more engaging, But yeah, I know it can be like draining. And if you're not a super outgoing person, it can be a lot all tied into like a couple short days. I mean, I'm an outgoing person. I love being with people. I love like hearing what people are talking about, what's important, like what are developers excited about? There's so many technologies and tools to focus on. Like which ones should we be checking out this upcoming year? It's just a really great way to like foster all that information and relationship building in a short period of time. There's like a certain amount of serendipity to it that's really difficult to recreate virtually. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think virtual events are awesome for so many reasons. Obviously, you can get a way broader reach. It can be a lot more cost effective and it's great for like sharing information. But yeah, for building those relationships, unless you have some sort of like chat that really blows up or something, you have a lot less of that like small talk and personal connection. It's usually a lot more business when it's a virtual event. That makes perfect sense. Awesome. So outside of Harper, are there any like tech educators or creators that you really admire and look up to? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're fortunate to be able to work with a lot of really, really awesome people. And one of my favorite things about that is then like, that's a chance for us to also learn about what they're working on and what they're building and what they're passionate about. So, I mean, I wouldn't have time to like name all the people that we work with, but there's just been like such an incredible list of people like big influencers like Cassidy, who I'm sure if you're familiar, Twitter, people like Prothom and Catalan Pitt, Angie Jones, like some of those big names in the tech influencer world, I would say we've been fortunate enough to work with. But there's also other writers that like maybe don't have a huge social following, but they have a really cool blog on Medium or somewhere else. I've also had some really, really cool people on our podcast. So there's a lot of folks I look up to, I think I've learned through hosting a podcast, which you probably would agree with is that like, no matter who you're talking to, no matter what their title is or seniority, they usually have like some really interesting snippet or piece of information or advice that will like stick with you and that you'll think of at random times moving forward. And so that's one of my favorite things about what I get to do is like connecting with these super intelligent 
really interesting people in the tech community and just like hearing their stories, hearing what they're doing. Sometimes we work with them like official business relationship where we're hiring them to do content. And other times it's just like chatting and brainstorming. They're also like other ones I definitely look up to and would love to work with at some point, like the Kelsey Hightowers and Scott Hanselman's of the world, or like Reshma who founded Girls Who Code, you know, some of these like super powerful, inspiring people that built these really cool tools. I think there's Paris Athena, I think is the person who started like Black Tech Pipeline that's for improving diversity in tech. So just all these different people that like I get to see and read their stuff from the sidelines. I I mean, I'd love to chat with or work with people like that at some point, but you know, it's cool that in the meantime, there's like so many resources out there and way to connect with people like that. Yeah, I definitely think we're in sort of like a technical creator renaissance. I don't know, maybe the pandemic really like accelerated this. But over the last couple of years, I've seen so many more independent creators building a following, creating really unique and like interesting tutorials and examples and live coding sessions and like all of these different things that, you know, even five to 10 years ago, you didn't really see so much of and It's really inspiring. Like, honestly, I wish that kind of stuff existed when I was starting out. (laughs) I know. And it's cool to see each person sort of like taking their own spin on it too. Like, I think there's some people that do the really traditional, like, here's my journey of how I got up, got up and running coding, or they do like the hundred days of code or whatever it is. But there's also some people who have like such a niche type of information or tutorials that they're sharing. And it's cool to see them take their own style, whatever it may be. Like some people are like really good at doodling. And so they doodle all these really cool graphics to show, like to teach and learn. And it's like, all these people are really teachers in their own right. And they're able to like play on their own strengths and kind of build this fun way of learning content that can sometimes be dry. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Maybe that'll be my big takeaway from this one. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So the question that I always like to end on, I always like to finish up with a couple of like big picture philosophical questions here. When you think about developers in general, right? Like whether they're learning to use HarperDB or just learning like a new framework or language, Is there anything you'd like to see change about how they're educated or what's available to them these days? Yeah, I think that's a tough question. The first thing that comes to mind is just making sure, you know, from the organization's perspective to make sure to understand that like each developer wants to be educated and wants to learn in their own way. And so in response to that, having a lot of different options and resources available for them, even if you have like amazing docs, maybe your documentation still isn't resonating. And so having these other areas where you have, as we were just talking about, like maybe a fun tutorial or like a YouTube demos or do some live events or whatever it may be, like having all these different areas where they can pull from to learn what it is that they need to learn, I think is really, really important. You know, I like one of the number one complaints that I think developers ever have about any product they're working with is docs. And a lot of times that company has probably done many modifications and updated their docs as much as they can. But that just comes down to the fact that like developers learn differently and they want to see information in different ways. So I think that that's one thing that definitely has been changing a lot and that should continue to change is like, if you have a product that developers are going to be using, really be sure to put them first and like get feedback from them and and see what's working and see what's not. And don't just like kind of go into a blind and think like, okay, I have this really traditional training in in whatever it may be. And I know the best way to do this. Like you have to diversify and try to be as available as you can because yeah, what works for one person might not work for the next and it doesn't really depend on their skill level. Absolutely. Well, well, I've really appreciated everything you shared. 
I found this really fascinating. The question I like to end on here is kind of just like a personal reflective question. Is there anyone in the world of tech or DevRel that you'd love to just like aspirationally take to lunch and pick their brain for a couple hours? Yeah. I mean, there's so many people, a lot of the people I already mentioned, definitely like the ones I look up to. I just love being able to sit down with people and hear their journeys. There's also just a lot of like really cool, badass female leaders in tech out there that I think is awesome that we're starting to see that be elevated more and happening more. So like anyone from like Reshma, who I said, who started the Girls Who Code organization to Susan, the former CEO of YouTube, like they seem like obvious answers, but I just think it'd be really cool to sit down with someone that's like been with a really popular technology, even something like Facebook or whatever it may be. And they've been there through a lot of years of change and growth. I think it'd be so interesting to hear about like what kind of challenges they had, how they got to where they are, like what it's like being a female in such a powerful position in tech. I also think it's it would be interesting to chat with devs that are like at the forefront of some of these really crazy, really interesting innovations that are happening in AI and machine learning. You know, that's just an area like we work it in a little bit at HarperDB and some of the folks I've even like had on our podcast and stuff and the things they're working on, I think it'd be really fun to like sit down and just have lunch with some of those folks of like, what are your views in two years, five years, 10 years when it comes to innovations like that? Because it is really crazy when you think about just like how new the internet is and how new technology is on the grand scheme of things. And so just like brainstorming and talking about where we might be in another 10 years is something that's like super interesting to me. Yeah, absolutely. I cannot even imagine it at this point. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's like, there's no way to really fathom. It's fun to make predictions. And like the craziest prediction we make is probably not going to be even close (laughs) to what we're doing. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, All I can think of these days is I remember back when I was a kid and I used to be on AIM all the time talking to this bot called Smarter Child. I don't know if I'm <laughs> dating myself or if you remember this. But I like, mean, I remember AIM, but I don't know if I remember the Smarter Child bot. <laughs> it was just like a really simplistic chat bot. You could be like, oh, what's the weather or something like that. Okay. And I'm like, wow, like I would have gone nuts if I had chat GPT. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that, that was an obscure like reference. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it makes sense. And it's like with it's like with any of these inventions and innovations, like it's super, super exciting and sometimes a little bit spooky at the same time. But like, definitely, I think in the right hands does much more good than evil. So yes. <laughs> it's really uh, that's cool definitely the hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Margo. I really enjoyed our conversation and, and everything you had to share. We'll include some links to you know, where to find you and your work at HarperDB in the uh, notes here. But I appreciate everyone listening. I hope you all enjoyed it and learned something. And, you know, if you want to hear more, definitely subscribe and look out for more episodes. And thanks, everyone. Uh, Happy hacking. Awesome. Thank you, John. Looking forward to keeping in touch. The State of Developer Education is brought to you by Major League Hacking. To find out more about Major League Hacking, and how we're educating the next generation of developers and helping the world's leading companies reach them, visit sponsor.mlh.io. And make sure to search for developer education in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen, and click like and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. And if you like it, please don't forget to leave a review, and we'll give you a shout out on a future podcast. On behalf of the team here at Major League Hacking, thanks for listening and helping us empower the next generation of technologists. Happy hacking!